Hey guys, welcome to a bonus episode of the podcast. Uh, we're going to talk to a listener named Daniel M. And he's going to talk about his uh, his struggle to break contact with uh, his mom, who was uh, sexually abusive to him when, uh, when he was a boy. Um, before we get to that interview, uh, I want to read a happy moment. Let's, huh? Let's not start off with all the dark shit. It's a happy moment right out of the gate. Um, This is filled out by a woman who calls herself PM201, and she writes, My ability to function effectively these days as I recover from a recent major depressive relapse rely heavily on to-do lists that I make for myself. Otherwise, shit just does not get done with my inattention. I decide to kill two birds with one stone to check off, quote, go for a walk and, quote, buy dishwasher detergent by walking to the store about a half mile away. As I leisurely stroll the aisles and resist the urge to buy yet another box of tea, place it back on the shelf and slowly back away, I take a deep breath walking up the aisle and notice the music playing in the background. Have I ever taken the time to notice the music playing in this supermarket before as I usually hurriedly grab my items and leave the store? I kind of like it. It was actually quite soothing. I say to myself that I should add this to my list of to-do things, do when I am bored, sad, anxious, lonely, or any other plethora of intense emotions that I often experience and need to soothe myself from. I mindfully walk home feeling the weight of the plastic shopping bag with a bottle of dishwasher liquid, passing by a babbling brook that runs under the parking lot, being mindful of my breath, counting my steps as I walk, watching the green leaves on the trees wave in the wind while smiling, proud to see the effects of practicing my DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, taking shape in my life every day. I love it. I love it. That is, those are, those are the little moments of victory, man. Those are, those are them. Uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor for today's podcast, Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Just go to stitchfix.com slash mental and tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend on each item. You'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who will handpick five items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Shipping exchanges and returns are always free. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or get your, quote, fix whenever you want. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied towards anything you keep from your shipment. So get started now at stitchfix.com slash mental, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash mental to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash mental. We'll put the link to this on the website. Um... So here is that interview with uh, with Daniel. I'm here with uh, Daniel M. and his uh, girlfriend, Rosanna. And we are going to talk about you cutting contact with, uh, with your mom. Yeah. And we were talking before we started recording how you came to find this podcast. Uh, you were listening to Christine, uh, Christina Pajitsky's 
That's podcast. Deep yeah. That's Deep Row, which is a great podcast. Yeah, She's absolutely. an awesome, awesome person and great supporter of this show. Um, if you haven't listened to her episode on this, uh, on this podcast, do it. Do it now. Absolutely. Um, and her episode on her podcast was about cutting contact with parents. And so what did you think as you were, uh, hearing that episode? What did that kind of spark in your brain? Um, well, I had, I was listening to you on there and I feel like a lot of, um, it's kind of rare to hear about the mother and son dysfunction in terms of like the mother seeking emotional spousal support from their sons. It's, I mean, I thought I was weird and I was very quiet about it. Didn't really tell anyone. And, um, just hearing your story was like, it was very refreshing and like very profound, like, because, um, I know for a lot of people, especially if you're religious or very cultural, it's like you honor your mother, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. Um, if she's wrong or right, you honor your mother and you be respectful and, um, so I'm going to guess you were raised Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was very, I identified with your story. So, yeah. and is there, uh, anything culturally in your ethnically in your, in your background that is worth mentioning? Well, I'm Filipino and, um, also part Mexican as well. So those cultures are very like, you take care of your parents and you stand by your parents and especially um mom is like head of the household and she's kind of the glue that keeps the family together and you cherish and honor that no matter what if your mom is wrong you kind of swallow it you eat it and you keep going with the respect and the honor so what did you think or feel when you heard us a an experience that was similar to your own, did it give you room to validate what you were feeling? Yeah. I mean, I, when I heard your story, I was just like, yeah, no, this is not okay. Like just because she's my mom, she might, you know, she may be fucked up too. Like just cause she's my mom doesn't mean she's impervious to being messed up in the head or, um, impervious to unhealthy you know relationships with her only son and um you know it was clear that there was dysfunction there and it, i think it's something that's really not talked about that much and it's sadly really really common that a parent doesn't get their emotional needs met by their partner mm -hmm. and they look to a child uh, to do that. And the child doesn't know any different. In fact, sometimes you can feel special because you get more attention than, than other siblings. But the toll I think we pay is as adults at that. And then it's kind of scary to be in a relationship because our template for relationship with the opposite sex is that we don't get to express our needs. It's all about keeping the other person happy and Absolutely. we don't have any clue as to what we have a right to or don't have a right to feel or say or boundary to set right um 
where do we where do we begin? What are your earliest memories of your uh, and uh, Rosanna? How familiar familiar are you with uh, Daniel's story uh, regarding his mom? And how long have you guys been together? Um, we've been together about seven months, and um, I know all of his story. Okay. So he kind of early on, we were very good friends, and he shared his story with me, and um like you said it's really not talked about so i think this is super important that he's here telling his story um so he's able to reach many other people as well yeah uh so what are some of the earliest memories where you remember thinking or feeling something that um you didn't want to think or feel so my mom and dad they divorced when i was five and so the earliest memory I have is um, my mom joining the military, and we had she got stationed in Germany, so we moved. I moved with her over there, and um, that's kind of around the time the the sexual abuse started with the inappropriate kissing, like it was open mouth kissing, and I just kind of remember feeling like this doesn't feel right, like this mm-hmm. this doesn't feel right. And I was nine years old and we would shower together and I kind of vaguely remember my mom justifying it. Like she's just taking care of me. She's just helping me. You don't know how to clean yourself correctly. Um, That's an excuse that is used a lot when, when parents do that, be it the mother or the, or the father. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And clearly there's an age at which a child can bathe themselves yeah. even if they don't do it perfectly. Right. Uh, so go ahead. I cut you off. No, it's okay. Um, and I just remember just feeling really uncomfortable. And but I'm from San Diego, and we were over, you know, thousands of miles overseas away from family. So I had no real safety net or anything to make me feel comfortable with telling my mom, "Hey, I don't feel comfortable with this," and she would pressure me. There was a lot of pressure early on to sleep in bed with her. Um, Like, why don't you want to sleep with your mom? Um, And there were times that I would, and um, there were a couple incidents where I would wake up with no clothes on and no recollection of how or if anything happened or how I got to have no clothes on. Wow. Um, just, I just remember that and, um, she wasn't very well, she didn't hide things very well. Like if she was, if she was meeting a man or whatever, like she would bring them home and it was very painfully obvious to me that she was bringing them home to have intercourse or whatever and you know i'd just be out in the living room like watching tv per- trying to pretend that nothing's happening nothing out of the normal normal is happening and and um yeah i mean she very early on i also remember her telling me that our relationship is a two-way street that you know you're my son, but I also need you to support me as well. Oh my God. <laughs> and, oh um, my God. 
And there was also very early on, she told me that if it weren't for me, that she would have committed suicide and she had reoccurring thoughts of suicide. Oh my God. Wow. That is so heavy. That is so heavy. Is your saying these things out loud that you experience, what are you, what, what are you feeling? What does it feel like in your body to, to say these things? Just a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Just very anxious. Like some, sometimes I start shaking when I mention these things and, and it's kind of strange because, you know, when I was a kid, I would justify it. Like my mom doesn't have anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm the only child. She doesn't have a boyfriend or a husband. This obviously falls on me. So this is my responsibility. I felt an immense responsibility to just back her up and have her back from an early age. And I had to, I just felt like I was robbed of my childhood very early on. Yeah. I mean, that's not an exaggeration at all. When a parent is basically saying, if you don't let me touch you, you won't have a mother. Mm. I mean, that's like... Does love get any more conditional than that? Right. Um, any other behaviors that you had to deal with? So Germany, and then she had to deploy somewhere for the military, and she told me that she had set up some arrangement so that someone could watch me while she was deployed. Um, and then she'll come back and take me back or whatever. Um, but one thing led to another, I guess, whatever, it didn't fall through and, or her, that her setup fell through and I was on a plane back to my dad. My dad and I at the time, uh, we didn't get along and, um, a lot of it had to do with now that I'm looking back, a lot of it had to do with, um, my mom kind of villainized my dad a little bit. She would tell me things like when I was little, he would leave me in a dirty diaper until she came home. Um, which I later come to find out that, you know, a lot, she fabricated a lot of the stuff about my dad. Um, you know, my dad and I didn't have a great relationship growing up, but I recently reconnected with him and we're really great now. Um, Actually, I just came back from Texas. Um, I stayed there over Christmas um, to reconnect after not seeing him for over a decade. And everything's great now. We addressed everything that we needed to. And um, does, he know, does he know about your mom and the stuff that happened? Yeah. So before I went to visit him, I told him. And basically his reaction was just... I had no idea. I wish I could have been there to protect you. And I'm really sorry. And of course, like, you know, I felt bad. Like I didn't want him to feel like he was responsible in any way because like he said, he had no idea. And my dad had a rough go of it too. Um, his dad left and then he had a stepdad who wasn't any better and then his mom was very unstable herself. So he had a rough childhood, grew up, got into the Marines. He went to the Desert Storm, I mm -hmm. believe it was. And then... And you're how old, Daniel? I'm 30. Okay. 
No. Um, were you able to take in any of that love and validation that he was giving you? Now, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can you talk about that? I just think it. I needed that. I absolutely needed it. Uh, when he said, I remember I had a conversation with him before I went over there that I can, I had like opened up to him about how I felt about my childhood, that my parents were like this just cause I just happened to be a bad kid. Like it just, that was the only explanation. And his response was, you were never a bad kid, you know? Um, he said he made some mistakes and you know, I also owned up to, I'm, you know, I know I wasn't uh, the easiest kid to raise as well. And <clears throat> my dad had no idea how to be a father. He didn't have good examples. Um, but I mean, to his credit, he, he like worked at it and he has two other daughters now and he's a great father. Like when I was over there in Texas during the break, I saw how happy his, his, my sisters are. Um, and they're very happy. He's a great father. He's very attentive and just, I admire him for, you know, taking a bad situation and instead of saying like, I really messed up and going downhill, he picked himself up and, you know, corrected his mistakes and he's here now. That's all that matters. And, and to me that, that is heroic. That, that yeah. is such a, an example of what a good parent is. All parents are going to make mistakes, but it's how they clean up. The, the things and communicate and make an effort. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure with people who didn't have a role model, um, to be a parent, it, it's a lot of trial and error. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to put your ego aside and say, okay, um, how can we move forward? Uh, instead of just trying to be defensive to avoid feeling any kind of shame. Right. Um, I'm going to take a wild guess that your mom will go to great lengths to avoid feeling any shame or oh, yeah. apologizing. Um, and she's the victim in her mind and Absolutely. everything. It's never been talked about the abuse. Um, whenever her and I don't see eye to eye, I get shunned for weeks upon months. It, she's dead silent. And then I come crawling back, apologizing, just, begging down on my knees like okay i messed up i'm sorry how can i fix this and then the cycle continues um and i also i had after the last time um she had kicked me out i had written her a letter and i sent it to you in an email but i don't know if you got it but um my girlfriend i also sent it to her to read to kind of like my intent with this email was to cut ties and to tell her goodbye and tell her like whatever, just cut mm -hmm. ties and having some, my girlfriend read that letter. Ros Rosanna. Yes. Mm -hmm. Having her read that she raised my level of concern and made me realize that my normal is really not normal at all. And that letter was really messed up like I, I mean my intent was to say goodbye but in that letter i was basically 
continuing my cycle, which was just apologizing, admitting that I was wrong and admitting that I was always the one that that was wrong and she has never done anything wrong. And, and did, you, did you not see that until Rosanna read it? Right. I didn't. She's the one who kind of made me aware of that. Well, let, let's have you jump in here. Scoot up to, to the mic, if you would, a little bit, uh, Rosanna. Uh, what do you remember thinking or feeling as you read that letter? Um, well, he had said that he was writing this letter for closure, and I already knew about all the things that had transpired between his mom and him um, throughout the years. And as I read it, I just, right away, I noticed that how he spoke about that cycle continuing and how he would always have to apologize and mom never took any responsibility. Um, We're talking outside of the sexual abuse, just in day-to-day things. Just in day-to-day things as well. Um, In that letter, it was instead of closure and saying goodbye, really he was leaving this revolving door, um, just open, um, telling mom that, you know, thank you for being a great mom and, you know, he was still taking responsibility for the dysfunction in their relationship. And um, it actually made me feel kind of sick because I knew all the things that had happened. And um, I was like, wow, this is really continuing that cycle and feeding into um, her own narrative of how she's this victim or and she needs everything's on her terms. Mm-hmm. And so I spoke with him about it just kind of how it made me feel and how this is really continuing the cycle. It's really keeping all these doors open and validating her sickness in her mind. And did that come as a surprise to you? It did. Yeah, absolutely. Which to me speaks to how deeply a child can be groomed by a parent. You know, when they have your attention and you need them, and there's no other thing for you to compare it to. Uh, it's it's incredible the the damage they can do, whether it's conscious or not on their part, whether it's a part of your mom's sickness or you know she's not deluded and it's just her. She knows exactly what she's doing and she doesn't give a shit. You know, ultimately, I think in terms of us being focused on her healing, it doesn't matter what their what their intent was. Although I have to tell you. Um, I, there was no other question I want answered more than why did my mom do the things to me that she did? And they're not, you know, in, in my mind as bad as the things that, that happened to you. Um, but that's another thing we do as we compare and minimize, um, I guess that's just one of the things our brains do, um, because we don't want to think of ourselves as having experienced these things, especially from the person who was supposed to to protect us from things like that. Right. Um, how long did these things continue that that she would <clears throat> so the, want or do? The overt stuff ended in Germany, but and how old would you have been at that time? nine, ten years old? Okay, and then um, later on, when I lived with her, when I was like in high school. She would do things like slap my ass when I was walking by. She still kind of pressured me like or made me feel guilty for not wanting to sleep in the same bed with her. Um, 
if I was wearing a tank top or something that showed whatever, she would make comments on like, oh, if I was working out at the time and um, just made me really uncomfortable. And I just remember just wanting to be in my room and just by myself. And that came with a lot of like self-medicating in high school with alcohol and marijuana and I just didn't want to feel anything. Um, I didn't want to be home. I just didn't. I felt trapped. Yeah, I get, I get the sense that compartmentalizing and going numb was probably and just going to a fantasy part in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are the, the ways that you would escape into your brain? Did you have hobbies or obsessions or things that would um, kind of... Uh, get you out of bed um or was it just alcohol and weed yeah at the time not really um i would go out with my friends and we would smoke and drink which was really kind of problematic at the time because we lived on base and if i got caught with any of that stuff my mom would get in a lot of trouble but everyone was doing it there and it was we were, she was stationed in Fort Irwin, which is by Barstow. There's and nothing it, to do it, there. Absolutely. <laughs> so Unless you consider uh, starving by the side of the road something to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Being picked apart by birds yeah, in 120 degree heat. Exactly. Um, and it was just, it was rough. Um, I didn't really know who I was. I had no sense of identity. Um. You know, my dad and I weren't good at this time. Um, Just everything was, I didn't know who I was. So did you rewrite that letter to her? I didn't. I didn't send the letter. I didn't rewrite it. I just told her in a text that, um, actually something you had said on on Christina's show that. Finally, this is about me. (laughs) God. (laughs) 22 minutes in and I've had to hear people drone on about somebody other than me. (laughs) Unbearable. (laughs) Um, Said something to the effect of, I love you, I'm not mad at you, but our relationship exhausts me. So I'm going to have to take a break or say goodbye. Is, Is there a part of her that you still love? Actually, now, no, I had this, I had this, um, profound moment to actually, again, listening to your podcast about, just say that again, so in case the <laughs> listeners missed it, uh, mental, <laughs> mental illness, happy hour. I, uh, you had a guest write you about, um, apologizing and forgiving a family member. And I guess they felt they felt outside pressure to make amends with another family member because and somebody was pressuring them saying you need to forgive them. Right. And you said something along the lines of, well, what if you're not ready? What if you're mad? What if you're still pissed off? Yeah. What if the forgiveness isn't organic and genuine? Right. And so I took that. I was like, yeah, no, I'm still mad. I'm absolutely mad. And I'm not ready. I may not ever be ready and that's okay. So That's amazing. 
I felt I felt a sense of freedom. I felt liberated when I heard that and I was just yeah, I'm not I there's a there's a big part of me right now that hates her and I don't want anything to do with her. Which I'm going to guess, I'm not a therapist, but I would guess that that's super healthy and awesome because it's a stage that you have to go through. And whether it never progresses beyond another stage, I I, I don't know, um, you know, what what that means or if that's good or if that's bad or normal or not. I just know I had to go through that. Right. I went through EMDR one time and... um. I just remember feeling all this rage. I think the thing that we were doing was was the, a person um, had me say what it was that I wanted to say as I was recalling the things that were happening and my boundaries being crossed and me feeling cornered and putting her needs first. And I just remember just like this lava of mm-hmm. anger coming out of me. And I can't imagine having gotten to the point where I am now without having experienced that anger. I, you know, I'm, I'm always a a little baffled by somebody that can skip the anger part and get to a place where they're, um, where it's not eating them up. Right. Right. It absolutely eats me up. Yeah. And I would imagine that that's, you're, you're right on track. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have any plans to, you know, reach out to a professional or a support group or something to help continue processing this? I'm currently seeing a therapist on a weekly basis. Um, I had a different therapist not too long ago, but I had I did two sessions with her and then she ordered a med eval. And I just remember thinking like, I don't like that. I, I really don't like that. I'm a person who kind of, I won't take ibuprofen for a headache. Mm-hmm. So I was, I'm very resistant to meds and I just kind of want to work through this. Which makes sense to me because to me, unless you are in an acute state of crisis, uh, I think meds should be the last house on the block. Yeah. And I think they should never be taken off the table as an option. Right. But, um, yeah. So, uh, that seems like a, a great, a great decision that, that you made. And do you feel, uh, safe with this therapist that you're with now? Yeah. So I called them and I ordered a new, I ordered to get a different therapist and I went on their website and they said, you can actually look at all of our therapists and some of our therapists specialize in certain areas. This was new information to me. So I chose, you know, my therapist now, which she specializes in, she's MFT and child trauma. So I chose her and my sessions with her have been amazing. Um, she actually told me that I'm very mentally stable. Like you've had some childhood trauma, but you're mentally stable. So, I mean, it's been amazing. Share some moments from, from your sessions with her, if you're comfortable doing that. Um, so I just talked, I would talk to her about my mom and then things with my dad and, um, she pretty much just said that she's amazed that I'm here now. I haven't committed suicide or I haven't been in jail. 
you know, things of that nature. I haven't been involved in any risky behavior. And she pretty much just asked me how, how is that possible? Um, and then you stabbed her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she's very, she's very empathetic. She, I mean, it's just been a great experience with her. That's, that's so, so great to hear. Yeah. Um, anything that you'd like to share? I mean, if, if this is your experience or even if it's something like this or if you're male, female, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like just get out and get help. Say it out loud, whether it be with your partner, with a therapist, doesn't matter who, just the feeling of saying it or even writing it down is very liberating. And I challenge you not to hold that burden, wear that burden on your shoulders anymore. Um, and, um, I think just carrying that with me felt like the right thing to do because I didn't want to burden anyone else with my demons or whatever, because I felt those were things, those things were mine to deal with. And that me putting that on someone else would be a burden. Do you think having shared it with Rosanna and experiencing her helping you and loving you helped take away that fear or that sense that you're a burden? Absolutely. Um, I mean, what else are you going to say with her sitting right here? (laughs) No, it actually felt like kind of a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I mean, it felt great. Um, I mean... We throughout adulthood, we all have relationships and you learn things from those relationships through failed relationships. And what I learned is, I mean, with her, the more that I shared, like the closer that we've become and letting go of that fear of like, if I share this, this could kill us. Like this Mm -hmm. could end our relationship. If I share this information with her, if I share my burdens with her, she'll see me as a burden or she'll see me as like a crazy person and run the other direction. I.E. conditional love. Right. <laughs> you know, gee, why, how would you have had that concept <laughs> and that fear? I don't know where I got your, that from. In your, in your head. <sighs> yeah. It, it's amazing. If we can find somebody to be vulnerable with and they can, uh, you know, do the proverbial, uh, catching us when we when we fall and we don't hit the ground it's such an amazing feeling right. and it makes the world seem so less scary heading out the door um less lonely less lonely and and to not have our only tool be shutting down getting high yeah. being numb uh you know whatever or being promiscuous or angry you know uh, taking it out on people when i say being angry not feeling angry but you know, unhealthy expressions of, of anger. Um, Roseanne, as, as you sit and watch him share this, what, what do you think or feel? Um, I'm just super proud of, of Daniel because I know this is just not talked about, you know, um, it's very taboo to talk about, you know, inappropriate relationships between 
sons and mothers. And like he said before, in a lot of ethnic communities, mom is sacred, you know, and that is even more of a reason to not want to talk about that because everyone loves their mom. Um, I'm super proud of him for being able to take the step and, you know, being able to take some boulders off his shoulders um, just by sharing his story and, you know, hopefully reaching other people just like how you reached Mm -hmm. him. And um, that's really life-changing and um, it's part of the healing process. So I'm definitely really proud of him. That's that's awesome to hear. And the, the shame, especially if there was pleasure involved, you know, there was one time that my mom gave me a bath and I was like 12. And even though she didn't touch my genitals, I was really, really aroused because it was a sexually charged right. environment. And I blamed myself for, you know, 40 years about that. And I held on to that and blamed myself. And it was a therapist that helped me realize what, why was your mother, you know, doing that when you were at that, at that age and to, to anybody who's experienced that, that, that can be a normal response that our, our soul and our body can experience two different things at the same time. Right. And, um, yeah. Dude, thank you so much. Thanks. Really appreciate it. What a sweet, sweet guy. It's so nice seeing somebody going through something and being supported um, by a girlfriend or a boyfriend or just a friend. Um, it just it reminds me of how much goodness there is in in humanity and how much we, we do want to give and receive love, but sometimes it's so scary to to do that, especially if we feel like we're going to be judged. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Himalaya, or do you pronounce it Himalaya? Uh, The podcast world is growing bigger every day, and Himalaya wants to help you navigate it. Himalaya is a brand new podcast app where you can find every single podcast you love and some future faves. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya has got your back. Discover personally curated playlists and show your favorite podcasters some love with Himalaya's Tip Jar. It's free, it's the easiest to use, and they're adding cool new features every day. Go to your app store, download Himalaya, that's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A, and don't forget to follow the Mental Illness Happy Hour podcast once you're there. So check it out, Himalaya. Himalaya, tomato, tomato. One more thought I wanted to uh, leave you with is I was thinking about perfectionism the other day um, and just how toxic it is. And, you know, we tell ourselves that we are doing, that being a perfectionist is a good thing. But as I've been thinking about it over the last couple of days, I realized that it's really a a, a form of, of fear of intimacy because what we tell ourselves when we're trying to be perfect is that I'm not enough, that I need to become more presentable to be accepted. I need to do a better job. And if I can only be perfect, then I'm safe from rejection. When in reality, there's never safety from rejection, but um, it's, it is it's such a mirage that is so tempting. And I think it's a way for us to obsess 
about ourselves. And it's kind of like the mean part of our brain that tells us bad things about ourselves and we think we're disciplining ourselves, but really what it is is a way to distract us from our pain and to keep us stuck in self-obsession. And it's just disguised as we're making ourselves into better people. But what we're really doing is we're just cutting ourselves off from other people. And I'm speaking about you guys, not me. I'm perfect. The rest of you guys really need to work on some of your shit. Anyway, thanks. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode. And uh, we will be back on our normal Friday episode. So I'll see you then. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.